So DLF has asked the DLF podcast to do a live read. I don't I don't do this. <laughs> I don't sell advertising space. I don't try and sell anything. But DLF is my home. It is my family. So I'm going to do them a solid here. Instead of putting the uh, other podcasts from DLF ad up at the top of uh, Dynasty Crossroads, uh, I'm just going to do this here live read. Um, again, not getting paid to do it. I just think DLF's awesome. they got an awesome thing going on. And they asked, and I agree with it, so why not? Uh, let me see here. i got to pull it up. You can tell I'm real professional about this. All right, uh, so DLF would like you to know that if you are... God, can't do this properly, can I? Tired of the same old Dynasty format? Think you have what it takes to be a real champion? DLF has partnered with Safe Leagues and Commish Extraordinaire Scott Fish... Hey, Scott. ...to create a brand new DLF Champions Cup Series. That's DLF Champions Cup Series, just in case I stumbled that. In the DLF Champions Cup Series, you're matched up in a Superflex tight end premium with points and payouts awarded each year. Nice. The bonus is that every third year, you, your cumulative points go up against a larger field to see who wins the Champions Cup. That's a neat idea. Claim a team today and begin your journey to hoist the Champions Cup and claim $1,000. Wow, cool. Uh, that's the grand prize. Come prove it, I guess, is what they're saying. It seems like a pretty cool competition. Uh, DLF's running it along with Scott Fish. Actually seems like a lot of fun. So if you're interested in that, please hit up DLF Scott Fish or the DLF Champions Cup Series. Uh, you can find it on DynastyLeagueFootball.com backslash safe leagues. Thanks very much. Let's, let's do a podcast now or something, right? I think more people should be playing redraft. That's basically the thought that runs through my head every time I run across one of these veto threads of whether this is vetoable or whether it's destabilizing to the league or how do we protect the league. Like, Maybe you should play more redraft. Because the difference between redraft and dynasty is that in dynasty your mistakes are worse and hurt longer and are harder to make up for. It's not that the league lasts longer. Like I played redraft a lot and I still enjoy playing redraft. And in the leagues where I actually I don't have any redraft leagues right now, I switch them all for dynasty because I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to concentrate on dynasty. And that's part of the same problem. Like, redraft is really fun. You get to reset every year, learn lessons, do it better the next time. Dynasty, you don't get that. You have to rebuild, which is an overused term. And everyone has a different strategy. And most of the people talking about how to rebuild don't, don't really understand what, what it's for or how to do it, in my opinion. <laughs> a lot do, obviously. But, yeah. It's not about age, damn it. It's about building a better team, full stop. Anyway. But yeah, the difference between Dynasty and Redraft isn't that Dynasty is longer. I mean, the a Redraft League can exist as long as the Dynasty League. The same players in it, new player every now and again, sure, the same thing happens in Dynasty. The difference is you keep the same players, which means if you drafted the wrong players, you're in a lot of trouble. Come year two in a Dynasty, whereas in a Redraft, you get to learn from it, reset, 
redo it. It's not easier, there's less stress. No else is less stress considering vetoes again. There's no need to worry, well, if I'd known that that player was really high on this type of asset or that type of player, I could have maybe offered that trade myself. I think that's what most veto is about. Man, I wish I'd gotten that trade. Tough. And I know too, like, that's why I'm cutting back and really trying to concentrate. And that's why I said it relates. Like, I can't spend... Dynasty is about grinding. It's about obsession. It's about trying to connect with this game and the people I enjoy playing it with to an extent that really is unhealthy. Like submitting waiver claims at 2 a.m. when really you should be in bed or reading or, or like 10 p.m. when you should be reading a story to your kids. But you just got to make sure you've got the right bid in and on, on you know, Keelan Doss this time of year. Like, I mean, it's not about forever. It's about taking the level of effort you need to put in to another level. And that's the other reason, another reason vetoes don't make sense. It's like, that guy was was better at building a relationship with communication, establishing a trade conversation and getting it done instead of reading his kid's bedtime story. Or, like, that's not what fair is in a dynasty league. In a dynasty league, fair is no collusion. Like, outside the league bargaining for inside the league moves, essentially. Like, you drop this guy, I'll pick him up. Everyone will think it's just a wave of claim and I'll wash your car next week. That's collusion. Or I'll give you money. Whatever. Dynasty isn't about the league lasting longer. It's about your mistakes hurting harder and more of your life being devoted to having to stress about it. And if someone else does it more, that's why it's a grind. That's why I use the word grind. I'm just out here grinding. It, it's just time. It's in more stress, and it's constant, and there is no off-season. DLF tagline. This is a DLF podcast, by the way. Like, that's the difference. That's it. Not that the league lasts longer. I mean, when you really get into Dynasty, when you reach an even player base, because most people listen to this, probably grinders, man. You're putting in the time in the off-season to listen to Dynasty podcast. You're already a grinder. You're in here. You're with us. When you reach even player base that's how the league gets sustainable in terms of owners coming in coming out and fairness like everyone has a decent shot to the point that if a weird trade goes down your first question is what don't i know about that player not man he traded alvin kamara for a second because he thinks rookies are cool like that if that move's happening you're you're playing in a you're you're playing in the peewee league and that can be fun too don't get me wrong, playing law in every league is fun to you. But if you're playing Dynasty vetoes and most of the rules I hear about dis- sustaining the league and making sure the league is fair to other teams, most of that is misunderstanding that Dynasty League should have an unequal distribution of success and value. Come three years, there should be three teams that have kicked the stuffing out of everyone else and everyone else has to take their licks. That's the fun of fantasy football. You get proven right or wrong a year or two years or eventually in three years. And if someone's kicked the stuffing out of everyone, it's not because the league was unfair and he got unfair trades. He just made that. She just made that. They just made that happen. You didn't. Probably because you're a more well-balanced human being who wasn't initiating relationships and trade talks instead of, you know, spending time with your family. And that's good, too. But it's not unfair. That's that's the that's the struggle of dynasty. 
And when you get to an even player base where if you're listening to this podcast at this point in the offseason, your even player base is probably looking at edges like establishing trade relationships better than someone else, getting in before someone else, or understanding another edge. Which brings me to actually some fantasy football content instead of my rant that's really bothering me while reading the veto thread today. Vince Jansen, he's actually a finance guy and a data grinder more than a football grinder, but he's interested in us. He's pretty cool. I've been following him for a while. He's got interesting uh, science stats type information. He recently posted a thread and he tagged me and not just me, but a bunch of other people like Frisco Josh, FF Zinger, also DLF, Mike Clay, Matt Spencer, Ben Baldwin, you know, the big names and me, basically. His point in the thread, and I'll link it in the in the show notes because it's a really interesting one. Um, to quote his first tweet, the progression of fantasy football projections is basically at the point of individual stock projections we were at in the 1900s. I don't know what that means, but I know what fantasy football projections and the state they're in right now. The analogy here is that most fantasy football analysts perform some analysis and calculation not dissimilar to a discounted cash flow analysis. I don't know what any of that second part means. But he goes on to explain it in the relationship to fantasy football, and I came to understand what he was saying, is that we're good enough at it that it's an efficient market, which is essentially what I was saying last two podcasts, which is that consensus rankings actually tend to be pretty good. I actually cottoned on to some of this line of reasoning, not knowing it was a a finance thing that happened once. Last offseason, when I wrote an article about where we've been successful and unsuccessful at drafting top 12, top 24 players at each position and where we could see regression. Like uh, two years ago, we were extremely efficient about projecting the top 12 running backs. It wasn't that there were more, that there were better, or the running back boom that everyone predicted. Like, that was nonsense. What happened was we just got it extremely right. Like, 96% of the running backs that we drafted in the top 12 ended up in the top 12. So I went back and looked, and I found that normally... We get three of them getting injured, missing the season, and that creates a lot more variance, or a lot less success, and that's why it normally felt worse. It wasn't a running back boom, we just got more accurate and there were less injuries. And it regressed in 2019, that's why it felt like running backs weren't suddenly booming. It's because our, we, we regressed back to our average accuracy. But anyway, I can't under some of the similar logic. And essentially, he's pointing the thread here. And he's got a lot of them, to be honest. But is that instead of getting more accurate with projections, like points per game now predicts fantasy points the next year at an R-squared of whatever, which is what we're mostly reading on Twitter. That's the, a lot of stat analysis right now. As if we really it's just variance and... You can you should consider everything and create a story, and then you're getting the best picture. You're not really going to find a secret number which projects who's going to be in the top 24 better than anyone else. We understand that pretty well. That's essentially what he's saying about projections. Like consensus predictions, again, to get you probably as close to R squared as you can get, no matter how much time you put into your model, projecting what's actually going to happen the next season. Again, that's what Tanho was showing uh, season before last when he just used consensus rankings just before the season started to predict points per game and he did as well as like mike clay's model and my projections and pretty much everyone's that's that's the efficiency of the market and essentially what he's saying therefore that the next step or the step in finances at least was to look where the the mistakes most commonly come from if i'm quoting him right i think that's what he's saying 
So yes, we're efficient, but we keep we more most commonly make mistake here or there. And when, like I said, I cottoned under some of the similar reasoning. When I looked at ADP, what I found was that more running backs finish inside the top twelve that are drafted outside the third, top thirty-six than any other position. So that's actually where you can get an edge, not because the projections are wrong or inefficient or unreasonable, like they're using we're using good data to get the right top twelve reasonably or based on the median, if you like. But because of injuries, obviously, and this is why it made sense to me, and what I was kind of looking for, they try not to look, you try to just find, right? But I was kind of trying to make sense of how the market or how the conversation around running backs didn't fit what I thought. Like there was too much value talk of running backs with a top 24 ceiling. Like we got to have running backs. Like, no. They didn't fit what I, was, what, I, what I felt as a player. When I looked, what I was looking for is why is that? And the reason was because more are coming inside the top 12 outside the top 36. So those top 24 running backs, running back 13 to 24, don't have the ceiling of running backs being drafted a lot later. And that's a big round difference. That's running backs being drafted rounds 5 to 7 versus rounds like 10 to 14. That's a lot of value difference for running backs. That actually, for players that actually jump into the top 12 a lot more often than other positions. But again, because of injuries, because of Alvin Kamara's. Not, well, yeah, Alvin Kamara at one point. Um, but really because of the Austin Eckler's, the Danny Woodhead's. That happens more often, that one-season variance. James White um, finished top 5 didn't he? At one point, top seven, something like that, a year or two ago. And that's the explanation for the way the running back position feels when you're playing. And so that's a common mistake. Even though our projections are accurate, the market is efficient, we commonly make this mistake or this common variance happens, uh, was the way my article was framing it, in that if you're prospecting for value at running back, you should ignore the top 24 running backs and just hammer, you hammer the early running backs and then you hammer the late running backs. Whereas wide receiver was, wasn't progressing into the top 12 or even the top 24 at the same rate outside the top 24. We make few of that, few of those mistakes, which is why I think it's mostly about injury more than anything else. And what Vince is saying in his thread, I think, is that we have to actually get the the next stage of now we have an efficient market is looking for more of those edges. So it all needs to be tested. I don't think it's a perfect comparison. I mean, like I was just saying about Dynasty, there are 11 losers and one winner. That's not really the way that stocks work. Like lots of people can make lots of money in a stock market. There's a distribution rather than a, 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 what you would call a pass-fail, a yes-or-no, winner-loser. It's a, it's, a, it's a loser's game. It's fantasy football. Most of us lose every year. So it's not a perfect analogy, but it is interesting to think about. Instead of trying to beat the market by being better at projection or better at valuation, it's instead looking for where the edges in that value lie. So instead of going through player evaluation, which we may have reached currently a height with, or projection um, beating, let's just call it beating. I'm going to use my own damn vocabulary instead of all this nerd talk. Um, like beating someone and guessing who's going to be in the top 12. We're actually pretty good at that. 
So instead, you should be looking for where do we get that wrong? And the other thing this reminds me of is J.J. Zacharyson pointing out that we most often get the handcuff wrong. That was a, I think that's a similar type of reasoning here. He Instead of looking at players, he was looking at the bets and where we get them wrong often. And what he was saying is that we normally draft the running back. The handcuff running back normally turns out to be a running back we don't draft as a handcuff running back. And so I think that's a similar line of reasoning. So that's another way you could look at it. And so far, both around revolve around running backs. And what Vince's challenge is, is to go find more of those. Instead of trying to find R-squared variables to next year points, instead we should be looking for where does that most often go wrong despite the efficient R-squared, the efficient success We've, we're now having a projecting who should be top 12, who should be top 24. Because the median doesn't work, we're trying to capture that variance. And so it's a really interesting thought process. And again, the, the, those are the ones I know of so far. Um, and he tagged everyone so that hopefully they can go find some more, I guess. And apparently, I had never thought about it this way, but Vince is saying that, um, and, and his ad is at Vince underscore r underscore jansen j-a-n-s-e-n again i'll post a thread in the show comments and um, that essentially frisco joss's ayards model which is one one of the, the big revolutions i think i know i don't know i'm not a dfs player big time i've played it fun a little bit and um, used a sheet or two to try and help other people play it for fun without getting completely hammered and um, by the market which is even more Strict, I guess, would be the word, with what happens to losers. Um, anyway, but Frisco Josh's Ayards model is essentially the same kind of reasoning, which is looking for where it normally goes wrong. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I don't fully understand what, how it would be looking for where things more often go wrong rather than to accurately project what happens. And But it's an interesting way uh, of thinking about football and looking for edges, like, you can take the consensus rankings, or ADP is another way of thinking about it, instead of a value or market. So consider the ADP pretty good at this point. If you're looking at DLF ADP, you've got pretty good ADP. It's pretty hard to get better than that, based on the median. I mean, there are a few lone rankers that I would argue with, and that's what we're normally doing with on Twitter and in podcasts. We're arguing about individual ranks. But we've gotten good enough at it that ADP is pretty efficient. That's what he's saying. It's pretty good. So, instead of trying to find the best ranks, what you do, or what we should start doing, is looking for where do we get them wrong despite them being very good. Um, and again, just the, the, the two I know for sure that I researched is one, running backs drafted outside the top 36 finish inside the top 12 more than any other position consistently over time, over the last four or five years of DLF ADP. And... Um, J.J. Zacharyson's comment that um, research that found that backup running backs often aren't the backup running backs that we want. Uh, the, the running backs we use to handcuff players normally aren't the running backs that we want, and so it's better not to do it, or to do, at least do it to other players' running backs. Tight ends? Wide receivers? I know. We've got to go find some and test this I test this process out a little bit. So I'm going to be trying to find other people to try and do that. And I'm going to be looking for this line of logic more 
on Twitter and in articles to try and see if there's some extra edges on top of to use our success in a sense against each other. I also kind of like that idea. You're good. Now I'm going to use that against you. That sounds fun to me. Because this is where, despite the fact you're really good at projecting, you often get it wrong. So I'm going to look, I'm going to, what would be the betting term there? It's a hedge, right? I'm going to hedge against that because often it goes wrong. I think that's interesting. Anyway, kind of a all over the place type of episode, but it's mid mid doldrum season, man. I just thought I'd bring some thoughts to you next week. Gonna have a person on, Zach Reed. We're gonna have an argument about a player. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Hope you can check it out. Thanks for coming and listening to me rant for as much of it as you may have listened to this week. I will talk to you again next week. Thanks very much. Bye. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.